Welcome to Grow With Soul, a simple marketing podcast by me, Kate Ferris, a creative business and marketing coach living in the mountains in North Wales. Grow With Soul is for creatives who either have their own business or who dream of having their own business and who want to grow slowly, sustainably and soulfully in their work and in their life. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Grow a Soul. Today I'm joined by Elise Blaha Kripe, perhaps better known online as Elise Joy. Elise was a maker and a blogger, but over time found the thing that she was most excited by was helping others to achieve their goals. So she developed and launched Get to Workbook, the planner which you've likely seen on the desks of many of your favourite Instagrammers and business owners. Her new book, Big Dreams, Daily Joys builds upon this goal-setting passion and heritage. Today we cover the gamut from setting goals in the first place to breaking them down, dealing with procrastination and ultimately how you can have a more productive day. So let's get on with it. Hi Elise. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited. (laughs) Me too. I'm so excited. I've been following you for a long time. So I'm excited to kind of dig into all the the juicy things with you. So for anybody who perhaps doesn't know you or maybe does but needs reminding, can you fill us in a little bit about you and your story and your business and everything that's happened to date? (laughs) Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, So my name is Elise. I live in San Diego, California. Um, We've been here for, let's see, like a little over six years now. And I got my start um, when I was in college. I was a business major and it was 2005 and blogs were just beginning. That was sort of, it was before social media took off and a blog was sort of how you created a, a mark on the internet at the time. And so I started a blog just for fun. I was sharing just you know, crafty projects I was working on and stuff about college. And then I graduated college. I um, didn't get a job. I, I wanted a job at a big company and, and no one would hire me. Um, so I, <laughs> that was sad, but ultimately worked out. And so I worked retail at a paper store, like a craft paper store. And it was great. I learned so much about, you know, customer service and making things and creativity. And it, I, I loved it. And kind of during that time, I started an Etsy shop and I was selling small little notebooks and letterpress prints and a lot of different paper products. And then my husband and I got married in 2010. And I told him, let me see if I can just kind of make working for myself work. Mm-hmm. So I quit, quit my day job and, and tried to figure things out. I did a lot of different things. The whole time, you know, I kept blogging. And then in 2015, I started a business called Get to Workbook, which is a planner brand that's like a normal paper day planner, but it also has some different goal setting features. And that is the bulk of my business right now. Ah, okay. And so how did that come about that you went from a lot of making stuff? And I know you did like the year long making project and all that kind of stuff as well. So how did it go from making, making, making into planner? Yeah, you're so so perfect. Totally right. And <laughs> when, I, when I turned 29, I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I would, I'd kind of tried a lot of things and I was a little bit bored with my business and wasn't sure where my direction would be. And so I came up with this idea that I was going to do a project called Make 29. So turn 29 and then every month for a year, I released a small batch, like a limited edition 
product. There was posters and knit blankets and all, all sorts of different things. And I released them in editions of 29 or 290. And my goal with that project was to see what fits. Like, what do I want to be doing? Do I want to go into prints? Do I want to go into really handmade, you know, blankets or sewing projects? And about halfway through that project, so in August, so actually the halfway point exactly, you know, I'm, I'm working on this, on the project and I realized that what was tying the project together, like that what was much more interesting to me than the products themselves was the goal setting process around it was this idea that I had set this goal. I was going to launch something every month and I had to do so many different things each month to make sure that the product, the project worked. And that was the interest. Like that's what I was really excited about. And so that's sort of how the planner idea came about was I want to create something that can help other people, you know, set big goals and work towards those goals. So that was the shift. And it wasn't, super intentional. I didn't set out to create a planner, mm-hmm. um, but I kind of, I kind of backed into it by thinking about, you know, what, what really excites me about the work that I'm doing. And it was the goal setting portion. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think that, um, you get people who are either like love the planning so much that they don't actually get to do the thing yeah. or the people who are the other way around and they're just like doing the thing with no <laughs> sort of structure or plan or anything. Yeah, I think I think that's super normal. Um, I think I, that is, is such a good point. I think it can be really easy to sort of hide behind the plan and spend mm. so much time on the plan and thinking it through and what will I do, you know, for step 75. And you never just jump in. But I think I think that's really normal. And, and it be, you know, it's like you can't to, to kind of fix that. You just have to pick one thing, <laughs> like pick one small thing that you're going to work on. And, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't have item number 74 in the back of your mind. Um, but you have to do step one first. Mm. That's something I feel like I'm constantly talking about. So were you always a planner or was it through the process of doing Make 29 that you kind of developed the skill and built the muscle a little bit more? Yeah, I've definitely always been a planner. I've always been a paper planner person. So long before I had my own planner, I was using, you know, other ones and always writing down, always creating kind of daily to-do lists um, that I got satisfaction, you know, from crossing off. That's always been part of what I do. I think that what Make 29 did is it just, it took a big goal, right? It took this goal of a year-long project and it very practically broke it up into 12 different steps. So, or 12 different mini projects. And so each month I had to launch something, which involved everything from coming up with the idea to making sure it got produced, you know, to sending the newsletter, to promoting it, to building the little shop webpage for it, and then to ordering the packaging to ship it and then to ship it. Like it, it always involved so many different steps. Mm-hmm. And that was really helpful because, you know, I said, I was looking back through some old posts about Make 29 and I talked about how Make 29 was like, you built a house, like the, the, the big project, the big idea was the house. And then each project within the house was a room. And I had to, for lack of a better description, like I had to decorate mm. a room every month. Um, and so I think that's sort of it. I think that you have your big goal. That's the frame for your project. And then you have to fill it in. Like you have to, um, do the actual things that are going to fill in that framework. So interesting. So how has that kind of, in really practical terms, with perhaps you want to use Make29 as an example or, or something else, but 
how is that in your business over time having a habit of goal setting and learning more about goal setting how has that really shown up for you in practical terms yeah I think that I, I think I could relate it to get to workbook the the, mm-hmm. the planner itself you know so coming up with the business of get to workbook like that's a goal like you know I'm, I'm going to I'm going to launch, you know, this is the fall of 2014. It's like, I'm going to launch a planner business in the spring of 2015. That's an overall goal. Um, And then it's all of the things to actually do that. So if you break that huge goal up, like what actually has to happen? Okay, I had to reach out to a designer and I had to describe to them all of my ideas for, for the pages within the planner. And then I had to find a printer for the planner and get samples and, you know, review those and have the book edited and get revisions made. So all of those became like the smaller action items within it. And so I I do think that that is so important to break up. Like there's, there's the goal itself and then there's all of the things that you do to reach the goal. And that I think is where people get a little bit confused. Like, okay, you know, you have this big idea, you have this thing you want to do. And then it's sort of like, okay, (laughs) okay, now what? Um, Mm -hmm. And and I think it's just, it's getting it as simplified as possible. So you want to run a marathon, okay, but you've never ran before, great. So it's coming up with, it's looking at your calendar, your app, or your, you know, your Google Cal, whatever it is, and you're seeing, when can I run next week? Like, what day am I going to run? Can I run Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock? Great. And then it's, getting out for that first run Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. Um, so it's it's sort of getting it as small as possible in the beginning. So for a lot of people, a goal starts out with a Google search, right? Like you want to start a podcast. Mm-hmm. You have no idea how to start a podcast. What do you do? You know, you, fig- you Google, you figure out yeah. <laughs> like, what's the first thing I do? You know, maybe you come up with a name for the podcast. That's an early thing you do. And then you Google that name and you make sure no one else already has that name. Like it's these really small things just to kind of get the ball rolling. Do you find that that kind of works as a bit of distraction as well from like this huge mountain of tiny, tiny steps that you have to take? Yeah, I think it does. I think that there's two times, again, there's two types of people. There's people who, you know, they come up with an idea and for them thinking through the entire mountain, like planning, like, you know, maybe they literally write it down or maybe they just in their head, they kind of plan out like, what are the hundred steps? Like for them, that's important work and they have to do it before they begin. I think that's great. Like, I think if it's not hindering you to think through the entire project, you definitely should. But then I think there are other people who, if they allow themselves to think too much about that mountain of work, they are paralyzed and they can't get started. Mm-hmm. And so for those people, I'm like, you have to be extremely careful to just think about step number one right now. You just have to think about step number one and not be too daunted by all of the steps. Because I, I also think that as you get into a project, it gets hard, of course, but when you've already worked through some things, you've already made some progress, the next step does feel a bit more manageable because you already have, you've already like carried the weight of all the other steps just to get there. Yeah, you've got like some more kind of proof or evidence that you've managed to do steps one, two, and three. So step four is gonna, you can build on that evidence that you can actually do it. And it's not trying to keep facing your fears over and over and over again. Exactly, exactly. So let's backtrack a little bit because I think that, especially when I talk to people, and this is probably a little bit the internet's fault, but there's goal setting seems to have a lot of kind of mystique around it and that there's a way to do it or a way not to do it. And I think a lot of people kind of struggle with setting a goal and thinking, is this is this actually 
feasible? You know, the, the SMART acronym, have I got all that right? Have I got that all ticked off? And that like setting a goal in itself becomes like the goal or the thing to take yeah. off. Um, so do you kind of agree with that or do you have kind of key advice for people to kind of block out all that other stuff and actually just how do you go about setting that big dreamy goal? Yeah, definitely. So I I don't the smart acronym that you just mentioned. I I'm sure I have something very similar to that. I don't I don't know exactly of the smart one, but I always say that a good goal, right, is something that has a time frame. Like it has a clear, it has a very clear, yeah, time frame, like a clear timeline of like what you're actually going to do. I think a good goal is something that's extremely easy to explain. So in a text, you could say to someone, I'm setting up a podcast or I'm creating a planner business or I'm running a marathon, whatever. It's very easy to explain, simple. Um, it's, it's reasonable. Like it's literally something that you can do. It's, does it make any sense to have a goal to go to the moon if you're not, you know, planning to train to be an astronaut? Like that's, that's, you have to make sure that it's something that can be done. Um, it's inspiring. So it's something that while manageable, like while it's something that can happen, you're still inspired and like motivated by the project. And then it's something that you're excited by. So I can't say like, I could never say like, yeah, that's a good goal. <laughs> um, but, but if you feel like it is, like if you feel like this is something that you want to work on, you're excited to work on. I think that's really important because a lot of the work to actually do the goal is going to be difficult and boring and tedious. And so I think coming into it, like day one, you want to make sure you feel excited because that excitement is going to have to carry you through some of the harder part. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And because especially around those kind of boring or difficult parts of achieving the goal and I quite often think about the end result and the end result not just being a thing of having this business or having x amount of money or whatever the goal was it's like how am I actually going to feel what are, what are the things that the the end result is going to cause in my life and that's what I use to kind of keep motivated to keep doing it when it is really really boring and I don't just the thing I don't want to be doing um that yeah that's how I kind of have learned to maintain that motivation because it does start to sap quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that's hugely important. And maybe, you know, for some people that could be a key part of the goal setting process, right? Like you come up with the thing you want to work on and then it's sort of figuring out like why? Like why do you want it? why do you want to do that? And that could be like, you know, I want to feel happy or I want to feel more financially stable or I want to make sure I have, you know, I'm able to work 4 days a week or or whatever. I think that you you nailed it, that that is such an important part of it because that's going to be the thing that maybe you can focus on, of course, during during the boring parts. So in terms then of, I know we've spoken about kind of breaking down the steps and stuff, but I guess this is all kind of mixed in and with the motivation and stuff because something that I've done a lot of times is spend a good afternoon doing goal setting in inverted commas and writing it all down and then I close that notebook I put it on the shelf and I never ever look at it again <laughs> um, so how, what kind of tips or, or how have you experienced that and is that something how do you think we can get past the putting it away on the note and um, on the shelf and never looking at it again part of this process yeah well you're not alone I think it's extremely <laughs> normal um I completely get that I think of it like a meeting right you go to a meeting with a bunch of people and we can I think mostly meetings are boring and useless but the point <laughs> of a meeting is you talk about things and then 
at the end of the meeting, the meeting is only successful if when everyone gets up from that table or hangs up that conference call and they have an action item, like they know what they're doing. So this person's organizing volunteers, this person is contacting whatever, like every single person has to have something that they're going to go do. Otherwise that meeting was just a half an hour or 45 minutes of use, useless. Um, so I think that you sit down, you make your goals or you write your goals or, you know, it's January 1st and you're really excited and you, you know, you have these beautiful pens and it looks gorgeous before you close that book and put it on the shelf. You have to come up with something actual and practical that you're going to go do. And you don't have to do it that second, but decide like, I'm going to do X on, on the point of like, whatever I'm trying to do, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to do it by Saturday or I'm going to do it by Tuesday or whatever. Um, and then you go out into the world with an actual plan of something to do. And you can take it a step further and say like, once I do my thing, you know, on Saturday for this goal, I'm going to take a peek again at my notebook and I'm going to see, okay, what's the next thing I can do? I, I think too, the second thing I, I would say is if you, if you have trouble getting out of your notebook and into the world is maybe shrink the goals. So instead of coming up with 10 things that you want to do, you know, January 1st or whenever, whenever you're feeling inspired, come up with just one thing, <laughs> like one thing. And so instead of having a plan to change eight areas of your life, come up with a plan to change one area of your life. And then I think you, you won't spend as much time kind of fantasizing, right? Cause I think goals can easily just become a fantasy. Mm -hmm. And part of it is thinking like, maybe I need to shrink. Like maybe I need a more realistic goal. Maybe I need a single goal. And then that's going to give you a little bit more of like a buoy and kind of get you going. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And that's something I definitely do is I just like fantasize about how great my life's going to be when all this stuff has just magically come together. <laughs> everyone, everyone does that. You know, that's so normal. I, I think it's just, it's trying to figure out how to make a little bit of progress and, and like a little bit of progress is still so great. Like if you're used to coming up with 20 things you want to do and doing none of them, then coming up with one thing you want to do and actually doing it is so much more successful. Mm. Yeah, I think, and I, I speak to people who are, are launching things, or they've got new product ideas and and we talk about them and it's kind of like, oh, and I could do this and it would be that and then I'd do this and then there'd be two options for this and it'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like this is way too much than it needs to be. Let's pull it back down to the kind of, minimum viable product here of what's the least this can be for it to go out into the world and then you can develop it later and kind of keep some of it in your pocket for a second launch or a different product in the future that I think that kind of minimizing it down you'd have the big dreaming moment and then it's part of that making sure your goal is realistic of all right let's bring this back down to earth a little bit and what's the smallest thing that I can strive towards at this moment. Yeah, I think what you just said is the most motivating. I hope everyone hears that like loud. Um, what is the least I can do? <laughs> I, I, I honestly think that is so important because we do get really caught up in like how big and bold and amazing our thing can be. And then we let that like snowball. And then suddenly we're like, oh man, I'm trying to do this big, amazing thing. Like I'm not ready. And then we think we shouldn't do anything. And I, I completely agree. You have to get something on the table. You have to do one thing, right? And then once there's something there, once you have one product or one idea or one chapter or something, it's so much easier to build on that instead of trying to like create something amazing and perfect and wonderful 
from nothing. That, that's really difficult. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like they say about working out, isn't it? That we all kind of go, well, if I don't have an hour and a half, there's no point. Whereas actually like 15 minutes is going to do much better than no minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or like, yeah, 15 minutes, you know, three times a week is probably better than, yeah, you're even if you got one and a half hours once a week. Like yeah. I think that like, yeah, the consistency is probably more important for mm-hmm. sure. So let's kind of zoom in a little bit more around, so we've, if we've set our big goal, it's manageable, we've reduced it down to the least it com- needs to be, and it's still a big goal, we're excited by it. How does that then translate into sort of day-to-day working on it? And I'm thinking about in terms of productivity, because I think productivity goes hand in hand in perfectionism quite a lot of the time. And so, yeah, what? how do you come up against um, procrastinating and just not feeling like you're at your most productive and, and what do you have around that? Yeah, I think that the first thing for the productive day, like building a productive day, is first it's being very honest about what your days look like. So it's knowing that, you know, if you're a new mom or whatever, you're going through a major life transition and you're strapped extremely thin, it's being realistic that that's your situation. And so it's not trying to overly schedule like if you if you know that you have 20 free minutes a day and you're trying to pack into that you know an hour of work you're going to feel let down and disappointed and you're going to feel like a failure Mm -hmm. and so it's being extremely honest like you have 20 minutes maybe come up with a 10 minute project for that 20 minutes because things always take longer than you think and so part of it is just being honest about what you have to, to have to work with. It doesn't mean that you can't strive for better. Like it doesn't mean that you can't strive for more free time or you can't rearrange your work schedule to get something better. Um, but today, this is what you have. And so be honest. And then the second part of that is thinking through your day and thinking about, you know, if you work at a more traditional job um, or, you know, whatever your, whatever your weeks look like, thinking about when do you feel the most motivated? Like, is it in the morning? Is it right after lunch? Is it after you put your kids to bed? Like, where do you feel the most like motivated and creative? And then don't do email during that time. You know, don't, (laughs) don't spend your most, like where you feel like your most best hours. Don't spend that on like routine, boring tasks, Mm. spend that on exciting, funner, more fun things. Um, And then with procrastination, again, I think it's something that's very normal. I think that usually it's around projects that we are scared of, or we don't know how they're going to work out, or we feel like they're going to be too difficult, or, you know, we kind of set ourselves up mentally and we think like, oh, this is going to be really hard. Like, for example, something for me is every quarter I have to file my sales taxes. So I have to, you know, pay the, pay the state of California for all the sales tax I collected that quarter. And I used to just dread it. It was like this tedious process. I had to go find my, my number. I had to add up like everything it was. I had to pay this money. And every quarter I would feel like kind of almost anxious about doing this process. And finally I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) I kind of of typed up like, these are the steps is exactly what you have to do. You know, this is your sales number. So I didn't have to go hunting for this 13 digit number. And I took this project that I hated and I kind of just like put light on it. And I was like, this isn't that big of a deal. You can do this. And that helped like that helped me just see it as a normal part of my work instead of this like big intimidating thing. 
So I don't know if that even answers the question, but but I, 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 th- I think trying to do something to kind of figure out why you're struggling, like pinpoint what the problem is and then see what you can kind of do around that. Mm. Yeah, we do like to make monsters out of things, I think. And it just, they become the things we push down, push down, and then they just but you're never going to get to the place without those things. But yeah, and, and I think they, they go do go very hand in hand with productivity because like what you're saying about being honest about what you have to do. I went through a quite a long phase, actually. It didn't, this didn't click for a while where I'd plan myself loads of stuff to do in the day, but forget all the routine stuff. Like I at some point would have to answer an email and like eat <laughs> um, and like none of that stuff kind of factored in. So when I started putting in like inbox time and lunch times and things into my day to day, the actual project work that I was doing went down but it meant that I wasn't always like chasing that unfinished to-do list yeah I think that's so important and I think a lot of times just just the chasing like just that feeling of like I can't catch up I can't catch up that is so discouraging and it bums us out and then we really can't we can't catch up because we're just Mm. down and so a lot of times I do think you know the being realistic or trimming down is part of the process ultimately to getting better like is is part of the process to potentially having more because it's just you're being so much more realistic Mm. what do you say to people by the way out of interest because this is something that I come up against a lot with people who have like their weekly to-do list or their daily to-do list and there's like one thing that keeps being moved from to-do list to to do list yeah (laughs) and they're actually gets done what's your view on those those things um, I say don't like you need to take it off your list I, 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 because I think like I, I think that um, I mean it depends obviously it depends on the thing like you got to file the sales tax so eventually I think that those people are just going to file on the last day or they're not and they'll pay the fine and that's fine um, but I think for the stuff that you know is like is the stuff you're excited about like the stuff that like legally you're not obligated to do <laughs> and you you continue to just not do it not do it not do it you need to take it off your list. It's just a hindrance. Every time you see that thing you're never going to do, you feel like a little jolt of like, ugh, you feel a little bit bad. You you just kind of bum yourself out. And so I say, forget it. <laughs> Don't do it. And, and move on to the things that you are actually doing. And that's hugely important. And then maybe when you're not seeing it on your list for six months and you're just kind of keep moving it, you're going to feel inspired or excited to try that thing again. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I always feel a bit like, scared saying to people just take it off (laughs) it's like if it's not been done it's not going to be done and I do think that we have especially if you're self-employed or even that you're running this as a side hustle or whatever that we feel we're not allowed to give ourselves that permission to take it off our list like there needs to be some invisible boss kind of come in and be like oh no that's all right you don't have to do that but I always find whenever I take something off my list for myself it's like the biggest relief it is it is and I think you know you you nailed it like your invisible boss isn't coming um but part of why we probably chose this work or part of why we are doing this side hustle is because we want to be our own boss, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I guess like for people who are listening and you have that thing on your list right now, Katie and I are telling you <laughs> we're your boss and forget it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always think, I like think back to the me who told me to do that and like 
would she mind if I didn't do this? Was she like in a really productive mood and just wasn't thinking that I wouldn't feel like that in three weeks time or whatever? And like, it's, I think that's quite nice is to actually be like, oh, I can just ask myself and I say, yes. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I love that. I think that's so true. So I also wanted to touch on joy with you because we've kind of talked a lot about the the hard goal setting, productivity, all that kind of stuff. But I know a lot of what you're talking about, it's like part of the title of your book, is about the daily joys of doing all this stuff. So why is why do you find that that's so important to bring into the process of achieving our goals and What are some little ways that you inject joy into that process? Yeah, I love this question. So I think that, you know, if you're extremely prolific and successful, you finish things, you know, let's say a hundred times a year, like you're, you're, you're crazy successful. So a hundred times a year, you, you finish something. So that means that there's 265 days where you didn't finish something. And my attitude is like, I want to enjoy those days. I want to enjoy the middle of a project as much as I enjoy the ending and the beginning. And of course, that doesn't mean that every single step or everything that I do is, you know, joyful, because it's not. But it means that like, I'm trying to make the process of the things I'm working on fun and enjoyable. So for like, really, like simple, basic things, like I pack all of the planner orders myself. So I go to the warehouse, I literally do it myself, even though I'm the head of the business, I'm the only person (laughs) at the business, I still do that. And people say like, that's crazy. Like, why, why don't you hire someone you could get? And for me, it's I turn on a podcast, I'm listening, I'm learning, or I'm listening to an audiobook, or I'm, I get to just kind of let my hands do the work and enjoy basically like just free time, like free, (laughs) free, like thinking, you know, listening, learning time through my headphones. So that's like a normal, like how I take a basic task and I make it something that I look forward to and I'm excited about. But as for just working on other projects, you know, like how do I enjoy kind of the middle portion? Something that I really like to do is document the progress as it's happening. So on Instagram in particular, that's my favorite place to share things. I, I share a lot of in progress or I share a lot of updates on how things are going. And for me, because I like to take photos and I like to kind of think through what I'm doing, um, that's really fun. And it gives me like many successes within a bigger project. So it lets me see, you know, I'm sewing something or I'm knitting something and it lets me see the progress as I'm working on it. For me, those are those are two things where I, I feel like I'm able to enjoy kind of the more mundane or enjoy the middle as I'm going. But of course, like everyone is going to have something else, you know, like there's something different that's going to make it joyful for you than, than would for me. Mm. Yeah, I, I really like that, that we do put so much on the end result and just the striving and the striving to the end result. But that's like... N- as you say, that's not most of your life. <laughs> it's not. It's not. And I think, you know, a lot of times I find when I hit a goal, like for example, my book, you know, big, it's called Big Dreams, Daily Joys. We haven't quite said that yet. Maybe you said that in the intro. <laughs> um, but, but when that comes out, that's going to be a day and it's going to be a big day and I'm going to be excited and anxious and all of those things. Um, and then it's going to be the next day and my life will go on. And that's how it is. Like, even when you have, you hit this goal, you you know, you decide you want to make X amount of money in a year and then you make it. And then you still like the next day, it's like, okay, <laughs> you're yeah. still you and you still have to go about your normal life. And I think that's a good thing. Like, I, I think that if we only are trying to celebrate the mountaintops, we will spend so much time disappointed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, yeah. Mm. Do you kind of think in terms of like actual celebrating little the little tiny steps, I'm going to make an effort to consciously celebrate this or is it much more about just weaving the joy in a little bit more subtly than that yeah I think it's kind of both I, I'm not I, I it's not like I do like an actual celebration like you know like a big deal. <laughs> well, no, some um, people are yeah. like okay we're going for dinner <laughs> yeah <laughs> no I don't I, that typically is not what I do but I, I think that um, I mean I'm lucky that part of my job is just goal setting like that part of my job is getting to work on fun, creative projects and sharing my process and and showing what I'm doing. So I'm kind of, my business is kind of odd where part of what I get to do is just come up with something I want to work on and then do it. And so the part of that is like, I, I get to choose things. So I often pick like fun things, right? Like sewing my own clothes for me is incredibly fun. So setting a goal around that means that I get to really enjoy that hobby. So that's, great and awesome. I think like what I would probably recommend to people is, you know, no matter what your goals are, like some, some of our goals are going to be difficult and financial. And some of our goals are going to be things that other people are telling us that we have to do. And that's all fine, but make sure that you're also picking something that is just for you, like is just joyful that you want to work on and maybe it'll make money or maybe it won't, or maybe it's just a hobby. So it's just going to cost money and that's fine. As long as you're, you get to really like it and, and, and you're excited about working on it. Mm. Yeah. I love that. I think there's just, we put so much on like, yeah. Where do you stand on the whole monetizing your hobby thing? Because you literally did it. <laughs> yeah, I, I do it. I, I constantly am doing it. I um. I think that it's very normal to monetize your hobby because if you really enjoy a hobby and you work hard on it, you're going to get good at it. And if you share that hobby, you're going to have people who say like, you're good at this, or I want to buy this, or this is exciting or, mm. you know, so you're going to like kind of get that feedback and then, you know, you probably dive in. I think, I think that's very normal. I think that when that happens, when your hobby becomes your job, you have to make sure to come up with a different hobby. So, you know, like I do a lot of gardening, which I'm never going to make any money from, but I truly enjoy it. And so it's kind of figuring out that different or like Pilates. I go to Pilates. It's a hobby. I have no plans to be a Pilates instructor, you know? And so it's, it's figuring out something else that you can do now that your hobby is your job. Yeah. And no, I think find it really interesting because I know that it's, it's something that kind of everybody wrestles with and there's been, I don't know if you've seen, there's like a man repeller article about it, about kind of how, the backlash against that monetizing your hobby kind of conversation where it's you're allowed to have something that's not making you money and that in this kind of generation we're all just like trying to monetize every single part of our beings that I just find it um yeah it's an interesting one I, I completely agree with about that when you do monetize it you do have that kind of vacuum that it's definitely something that I've struggled with and people that I've spoken to struggle with that it's some days you like will wake up on a Sunday and be like, what do I, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. And I, I think, I think you bring up a good point where we, we are like our culture does feel like you have to love your job. Like your job has to just like be you and fit you so perfectly. And it's wonderful. And I don't think that's realistic. Like 
obviously not every person is going to love their job. And even if you do love your job, you're not going to love every part of it. And that's so normal. And so I, what I love about that, I have not read the article, but what I love about what you said from the man repeller article is just this idea that you can do things that you don't love. Like that can be your job. Your job can be something that you go to and it pays the bills. And then you can have a really great life (laughs) doing things that you just enjoy doing for no money. Like, I think that that is so important, especially, and I'm part of this, like I'm someone who has a creative job and I get to share it online and that's fine. But I would never, like, I don't think that what I'm doing is any better than the person who goes to a job that pays them and they go home and then they do the things they love. Like, I think that's great. I think that that person can be just as happy and successful, of course, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's an interesting thing. I I wonder whether it's going to be a conversation and a dynamic that starts to come up more and more over the kind of coming months and years as we start to navigate this cult of personality that everybody has the means in the palm of their hands to start a business if they want to. And now it's, it's a choice that people are having to make far more quickly and often than it ever was in the past. Yeah, I think that's so right. And I think, I think it's definitely, it's so much easier to build a brand out of like your life now. Mm -hmm. And I also think that it's so much easier for your day job to creep into your life, right? Like, because you have that thing in in your phone, you're, you can always get your work email, you can always hear from your boss, you can always hear from your customer or whatever your client. And so I think that we feel like it has to blend, like we, we feel like our work and our life has to just be one thing. And that's really difficult. I don't. I don't have a solution. No. Like, yeah. Like <laughs> being being aware um, and, and and trying to figure out anywhere that you can build a boundary and not like well, you know, work life balance. Not because of that, but just because it's so important that you have off time from your work, and it's mm-hmm. so important that you are able just to focus on your work at some times. It's never going to happen constantly, but to be able to give yourself a little bit of time um, on each is so important. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't expecting you to have the solution to that, but (laughs) (laughs) I think it's like a good thing to, because I, I know that a lot of people feel pressure around like being one thing or the other and having the hobby box ticked and having the business box ticked and things like that. And I think, you know, just to say we're all figuring it out and nobody knows the answer. So just find the thing that's that makes it feel doable for you. So let's talk a little bit about the book, which we've we've mentioned slightly. So as you said, it's called Big Dreams and Daily Joys. So who's it kind of for? What can people expect from it? What's the goodness in there? Yeah, so the book comes out October 8th and you can get it everywhere worldwide. It's on a lot of different websites um, and it's published through Chronicle and it's 40,000 words. So you know, I don't know, I'd say medium meaty. Um, <laughs> and the la- I worked with Chronicle who does an awesome job building just beautiful books. So there's a lot of great graphics and, you know, kind of pull quotes are hopefully like big and inspiring. And my goal with the book is to um, help people get things done, you know, and make space for their big dreams and make space for their goals and to make space, of course, for joy. And so the first section of the book, I just kind of talk about goal setting in general, like an overview. The second part, we talk about how to kind of get your normal daily life under control. So that's the productivity. That's the, you know, helping, helping you feel a little bit more in control of the normal things that you have to do so that in section three, you can really make space for bigger things. I think a lot of times part of why we feel so overwhelmed is we want to try new things. We want to set goals, but we feel like we can't even keep up with what we're trying to do. 
Anyway, and so of course you have to get that in order. And so I'm not saying I'm going to solve everyone's time management, but I hope that what it provides is like some different tools and techniques and tips, of course, that people can try to feel like they're just a little bit more under control um, and then they have space to, to, to dream bigger. Well, yeah, that, I, I so agree with you. And I think that's always such a missing piece is that bit of <laughs> make the space <laughs> to be able to do it. How did you find the process of writing the book? I'm always just really interested in people who do such a huge, massive, big project while also like running, get to work book and all that other stuff as well. Yeah, I, similarly to you, like I, I would see, you know, people write books and I always think like, how do they do that? Like it, it felt very insane. Um, and so I start, I came up with like the table of contents and a rough outline for what the book would be in the fall of 2017. And then in February of 2018, I took that table of contents and I flushed it out and I turned it into what would be the book. And the way that I did it is just making sure usually every weekday I had a little bit of time to write or a little bit of time to edit. And in the beginning, those fir- that first like month, I just sort of hopped around from different section to section, putting everything that I had down. So like, what does this fit into? You know, mm-hmm. fill that in. Um, and just kind of like an idea dump for that first month. And then the second, third, fourth months were spent refining and making sure it made sense and, and kind of tailoring and flushing out things. And then I had an editor, which was awesome. I, <laughs> I, rarely, I rarely work with someone. So it was great to have her insight and she could, you know, read it and make sure I was making sense or say, you need more here or whatever. Yeah. So I I loved it. I I feel like I fit it in basically by having, um, my get to work book is a big job, but it's seasonal. So I have like really busy times and then slow times. And the bulk of the book was written kind of during that slow time, which was great. Mm. Yeah. It's so interesting. I I loved it kind of, cause it's such, like you say, like a huge thing, but you obviously broke it down into the little steps yeah. and just did little bits every week. So yeah, if, if, I have, um, if people are curious on Instagram, I have a saved story highlight that's called like book or something. We can, we can find it and link to it, but it's, I just little every time I worked on the book, I posted something to stories and over that like 100 days, you can see, like, I, I kind of share how my word count goes up. I share kind of the editing process, sort of. I mean, it's not like I don't share the words, but <laughs> I share how I just wrote it like a day at a time. And so that might be interesting. You kind of want to flip through that really quickly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nice kind of case study of everything we've spoken about. So before I let you go, Elise, I've got one last question to ask you, which is how do you grow a soul in your work and life? Yeah, so I, I've been thinking about this. I think that I try to make sure that I'm always learning I try to make sure that I, I'm, I've gotten better. I've gotten more comfortable saying like, I don't know, like, let me find out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so my biggest goal with my life and my work is to show up as who I am um, and not pretend to be something I'm not because it's embarrassing when you get found out um, <laughs> and, and just like be, you know, be there. Like, here's what I am. Here's what I offer. Here's what I want to do. Um, and just try to show up just honestly, again, like we say that a lot, but that's what I work on. That's what I, I'm always trying to do. So Elise, if people want to find you and connect with you online and they want to find the book, where's the best place to come and say hello? Yes. If you go to elisejoy.com, you're going to find links to kind of everything that we talked about, including get to workbook and my old blog, um, elisejoy.com slash book is where you can find links to all the places that are carrying the book right now. And then as mentioned on Instagram, I'm at Elise Joy, and that's where I share most frequently. Perfect. Thanks so much for joining me, Elise. 
Thank you, it was a pleasure. All the links we mentioned will be on my website, which is simpleandseason.com forward slash podcast. And you can find me and Elise on Instagram. I'm at simpleandseason and she's at Elise Joy. As always, if you have a friend who you think would really enjoy this conversation, then please do send them the link to the episode and share online where you're listening to. And until next time, I hope you grow with soul.